0: morning uh, i just want to thank dr tucker for having me here i think all students and alumni will understand when i say it's half an honor and half a cause for absolute terror <laughs> um, but i think that just goes to show how much this place means to us and the professors that saw us through on our journey we just have so much respect so let us pray God, we seek to behold you as Moses did. So we pray, show us your ways, show us your glory, go with us. We are your people, amen. Students, I know I don't know many of you, but I'm going to be bold for a moment and tell you why you're here. You are here because something in you needed more. Because there is a calling on your life to know God deeply and to somehow perhaps in some specific way and in ways you have no idea about yet, but to somehow share that same journey of knowing with other people. So you came here to know God by knowing about God by way of scripture and theology and all the traditions that have aided God's people in this kind of knowing throughout history. But with all this knowing about, it sure can be easy to forget simply knowing. That intimate Moses kind of beholding of God that is experienced from deep within your own soul. And the thing is, it is this kind of knowing that ministry is really all about. No matter what kind of ministry you may be doing, whether it has an official label of ministry on it or not, whether it involves words or actions or both, it is always about getting people not just to look, but to really see. It is about helping others not just know about God, but to actually know God's presence personally in their lives. It is about delving into the God things all around us day in and day out and inviting other people to do the same. And it is about the everyday practice of fixing our spiritual eyes on the center, our center being Christ. So you are here to know God and to know about God, and even with all the differences between the two, both knowing and knowing about Both involve searching. So, as people who are called to know deeply, it can be safe to assume that we are also called to search. Now, this idea of searching is a calling that resides within all followers of Christ, but I think it's safe to say that as ministers, we often find ourselves leading those search parties. Moses was called to search. His search party was the Israelites. Their entire story is one of seeking knowledge of and intimacy with Yahweh. And today's text is no different. The reading Joanne read is from Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 through 23, and it's right after the whole golden calf debacle had just taken place. In that story, Moses was so angry about it, he threw his holy tablets to the ground, breaking to pieces those God-breathed stones. And God was even more furious. So furious, he essentially said, Forget it! Take the promised land. Go on your own, but I can't even look at you. Now, I'm not sure if Moses felt sorry for the people, or if he realized such a comment would affect him profoundly as well. Maybe it's a bit of both, but either way, he decides to go speak with God about it. And that brings us to today's story. In it, Moses is on a search. His mantra essentially being, show me your ways, show me your glory, go with me, I and your people. Moses is searching, searching so intently, he makes the discovery that if you search deeply enough, you just might die from it. God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you, but you cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live. And yet, if we know anything about Moses at all, we know that he quite literally gets a kick out of playing with fire. So it's not all that surprising then that this near-death experience doesn't stop Moses from searching. Now I can tell you about a near-death experience because I've had 10 of them just this summer alone. 10 near-death experiences because 10 times I boarded an airplane and took a flight. (laughs) People tell me all the time that statistically speaking flying is nowhere near fitting the requirement of a near-death experience but I really don't care what they say because I hate flying. I hate heights. I hate the feeling of being totally out of control. I hate all the random noises the plane makes that I can never figure out. They're different every time. Every little bump alarms me. Even the slightest amount of turbulence will make my heart beat faster. And by the way, I've learned really bad turbulence will bring out my Catholic roots because I've found myself praying the rosary in panic pretty often. And the funny thing is, I'll look around me, and everyone else is calm, reading their magazines, sipping on ginger ale, napping even. And here I am, enduring my own personal near-death experience. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. People tell me all the time that flying is safer than driving, blah, blah, blah. I know. I get it. I never said this was rational. I can't help it, though. Flying is so much scarier than fun to me, and I hate everything about it. But it might be more accurate to say I hate almost everything about it because truthfully, I love the clouds, seeing them, not flying through them. I love the random conversations that can happen with your neighbor. Yes, when I'm not in a panic, I'm a talker. I love how much perspective can be gleaned way up in the sky from the reminder of how small we really are. And I love landing and the excitement of discovering a new place or seeing a familiar one that has become accessible because of flying. I love landing and going home when a trip is over. No matter the direction, flying always brings us somewhere and that somewhere often involves new adventure or rest or beauty but definitely priceless memories. So, I am willing to risk what feels an awful lot like a near-death experience to know a greater experience on the other side. Moses searches to know an even greater experience. Moses searches to know God fully, and God warns Moses, no one can see my face and live. But Moses is willing to risk a near-death experience to know because I think he felt like a lot of us probably feel. I think he felt to know God was to see God. And to see God? To see God is proof that we aren't alone and that we won't be alone in a very unknown and unpredictable future. We need to know that this holy God will reside with us no matter what. The knowing of intimate relationship with God that deep was and is well worth the risk that comes with searching for it. God said, you can't see me fully and live, but Moses saw even less life in not seeing God at all. So he searched. And to that end, we search. We search despite all the questions that inevitably rise up. We search for answers we may never discover. We search no matter how shaky it makes our faith feel because of it or how exhausted we get from it, no matter how terrifying, no matter how impossible it seems to know God more and then to share that kind of searching and knowing with others, we search. And when we search, we find this incredible need to stay centered within our search, even and especially in the midst of everyday life. This is where our calling resides, and it is why we feel so compelled to share this pull toward the center with others. But the thing about seminary is that it can be really hard to stay focused on the center yourself. You are already focused in every other way, so simply beholding can sometimes be lost. You are here physically. You are here intellectually. You are even here emotionally. But are you here spiritually? Are you here spiritually? I don't know about you. But that was a struggle for me then, and it still is very much so now. In fact, I'm starting to believe that seminary isn't so much an institution of learning as much as it is an opportunity for practicing spiritual-centeredness amidst our hectic lives. Because it doesn't get easier. There will always be books to read and papers to write and cramming and not enough time. It'll just look different, that's all. The books will be exegesis and lesson plans and vacation Bible school and administrative work. The papers will be responses to real people. And something will always be overdue, and there will never feel like there is enough time. Life carries us away, and we as ministers are called to push against the chaos and point out the center to people. And sometimes it feels like a juggling act, because we are attempting to learn the same thing every day ourselves. One morning not too long ago, I found myself gazing. My early morning routine is tea and quiet and then prayer or something like it anyway and then writing. And so early one morning, not too long ago, I found myself gazing out the window, just gazing, my head tilted sort of this way to the side. Suddenly, in that moment, I realized something. I realized that my soul matched my physical posture. I just felt off-center, off-balance, like my soul needed some realignment. And the first thing I had to do that day before I did anything else was reposition myself spiritually. I needed to redirect my posture toward the center, toward Christ. That's what we do as pastors, ministers. We try and tilt people's souls back toward God. I'm not exactly sure what it means to be completely centered, but I think simply taking the act of searching intentionally is a good start. Because once we do this, we find, like Moses did, that when we are centered enough to recognize God in our lives more clearly, glory becomes redefined. Moses says, show me your glory, I pray. And God responds, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And then later he says, While my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. In this passage, God makes his glory synonymous with his goodness. Moses can't see God's face without dying, but Moses learns that God's goodness is the ultimate face of God's glory. We don't have a complete picture of God, but we do know that God's glory looks a lot more like goodness than anything else. It is only when we think of God's glory in this way that we realize we have seen the face of God. In Christ, because Christ is the ultimate image of God's goodness. And God wasn't kidding because we did die from it. In Christ, new life. That is how we got here in the first place. Needing to know more. Fixing our spiritual postures toward the center, toward Christ. Compelled to search, to know more about what this life in Christ really means. And to extend that search to the people we have been called to serve. There's a ride at Universal Studios in Orlando. It's modeled after the hit Transformers franchise. And like many of the rides there, it's a combination of roller coaster and 3D simulation. Basically, you put on these 3D glasses, and then they strap you in to a seat, and then you move around on a track while a screen simultaneously shows you images from the Transformers world. The purpose is to make you feel like you're a part of the story. It's fast, it's thrilling, and it's just about as realistic as it gets. By the end of the ride, you're a bit winded, but mostly exhilarated, when a huge image of Optimus Prime, leader of the Autobots, appears, hovering over you in all his glory. Slowly, he bends down till his face is paralleled with your face, and it really seems like he's looking intently in your eyes. All is quiet now that the bad guys have been vanquished. And Optimus Prime, looking directly at you, says, Your bravery saved the planet. Well done, freedom fighter. Your bravery saved the planet. What if all it took to save the planet was a little bit of bravery? We learn from today's text that we are called to search and that when we search, we realize we have seen the very face of God in Christ. And that is almost unbelievable. But it is the other part of that truth that might be even harder to take in. And that is that we portray the face of Christ to the world. We portray the face of Christ to the world. We aren't just Thinkers, intellectuals, or spiritual wanderers searching for philosophical answers. Our search led us to ministry, and our continued search calls us again and again, beckoning us to action. It is here that the words of Teresa of Avila come to mind from her poem, Christ Has No Body. Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet... On earth, but yours, yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on the world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, you are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. No matter what it is you are doing, because none of our vocations look the same, you are called to search. And all it takes to fulfill this mission is a little bit of bravery. Enough bravery to be willing Enough bravery to be faithful. Enough bravery to believe that this is planet-saving work. To that end, we search. In the name of Jesus, we search. Amen.